look out because you're going to have to participate. It's going to be a little different this morning. You're actually going to help me preach the message today. All right? So let's, let's pray and just pause before the Lord for a moment. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. I ask that you would come right now and help us to know you more today. Amen. All right, 4th of July weekend. Yeah, you guys are pumped. Man, it's going to be awesome. Um, I was reminiscing this, uh, this morning about a 4th of July party that I attended a few years ago. It was probably five years ago at Kim Ray's house, actually. Her family uh, lives on Pleasant Street uh, in Manchester, where the, there's, a, there's a parade that happens every year on the 4th of July in Manchester, and their house is on the route, right? Yeah, they went right by. And so she had our family over and a number of their families, and it, just, it was a great time. The kids were shooting hoops, and they had all this, you know, food out and drinks, and, you know, the kids were just sugared up, you know, for the week. And um, it just was a, Kim was a great memory, you know, so I just am thankful for that memory. And um, the kids having such a wonderful time. And, um, you know, many of you maybe will be going to a party tomorrow, or maybe you'll be hosting a party. Maybe you'll just be partying by yourself. I don't know what your 4th of July plans are, but today... Uh, we're talking, we're in a series called Secrets of the Kingdom, and Jesus is going to give us some secrets about how to be a guest at a party and how to be a host at a party. This is very applicable. I mean, you can just do this tomorrow, all right? So there's a couple different sections, and what we're going to do today is um, I'm going to read a section. I want you to talk about it at your table, and if you're not sitting with anyone else, just it would be really helpful for you to move near somebody else that is also not sitting near someone else. So if there's a, there's a few tables, it would be great to have two or three people. Um, and then I'm actually going to come around with a microphone and maybe one person, if you're willing, it doesn't have to be from every table, but could just share a thought or two uh, briefly about what was read and what you talked about. Okay? So we're going to, and then at the end, I'm going to try to pull from what you've said and some thoughts that I have about these passages and about, you know, what does Jesus say about throwing a party? This is interesting that this is in the Bible, or attending a party, okay? Now, there's a deeper level. We'll get there, okay? But um, here we go. So this is, I just say, hey, if you want to turn there, it's all in Luke 14. But I would, I would say, hey, listen to it being read first. Um, I think there's something to that. And then if you want, if you're a visual person, you can go back and look at the passage again if you want to turn there now. Okay, so it's Luke 14. We're going to start in verse 7. So again, my encouragement is just do what the original hearers would do, is just listen to Jesus telling this story orally. Okay? Now he, told them, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, 
move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. All right, so the, the question I have is just, hey, what, what stands out to you in this passage? Or maybe what is the point that Jesus is trying to make? All right, we're going to open it up here. Anybody want to share? And you can share somebody else's thought and just claim it as your own. It'd be a great application of this passage. But, or you could just honor somebody else saying, oh, so-and-so has a great comment. Anybody? You got a, I don't want to put on the teacher hat and just call on. No, I'll come to you. I'll come to you. Stay there. Yeah, you can, you can stay in your seat. Here you go, Kim. Um, the first words that just popped into my head after Brian read the pa- uh, passage, the, I believe they were from the Holy Spirit, is that humility is attractive. Hmm. Okay. That's great. Did you guys all hear her? Yeah. So I felt like if there was a little saying that went with this, um, it would be humble yourself or be humiliated. Hmm. Preach it, Kathy. Got an alliteration in there, too. That was great. Anybody else? I'm going to call on you because you were in my group. Share what you said. Okay. Yeah. I said that once you, you choose to humiliate yourself, to be humble, allows Jesus to tell you who you are, a truth about yourself. Hmm. Okay. Pearls on a string here. All right. Let's keep going. Last call. Oh, yeah. One more. Um, are you raising your hand? Yeah, God loves to honor us because we're his kids, but he knows what's good for our hearts. So he knows if we seek honor for ourselves, it's not going to be the best. But if we seek to humble ourselves and then he honors us, it's just a more beautiful thing. It's good. All right. Okay, pick your Bible back up. Or sorry, don't pick your Bible back up. Just listen to this next section being read, okay? All right. Verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Okay, so we just had a story about what you do when you're a guest. Now Jesus is giving you some advice as a host. So what's he saying in this passage? What's his point? Okay, go for it. Okay, you can keep chatting for a minute until someone volunteers, but we'll open it up if someone's ready to share something. Yeah? Was that a real hand raise? Here we go. Mike has got the mic. Um, Instead of inviting all your favorite people to a party, you should invite people who can't invite you to a party because you're not inviting them to be repaid. You're just inviting them to invite them. That's good. Anybody else? 
Okay, and then you can hand it to Matt. Go ahead. Well, Kathy said something cool. She was like, Jesus invited us in when we were poor and had nothing really to offer him, so that's what we can do. Um, yeah, thought that was good. Matt's going to go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm hearing a couple of different themes in here of identity, actually. Um, the, the first parable of being the guest at the wedding feast, the thing that we need to keep in mind is we are God's chosen children. He loves us dearly. I don't need the seat of honor next to the, the host. I want somebody else to be close to Jesus. I want somebody else to have that opportunity. And, and this one about the banquet as well. Again, as I'm inviting people in, I'm already secure in who I am in Christ. So I want to invite in those who don't know Christ yet, those who haven't had that opportunity. And I was seeing a, a, a parallel in, in Philippians 2 um, where he's talking about uh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And having this mind that was in Christ, that even though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became a servant so that others would be able to come into the presence of God. Mm-hmm. That's good. All right. Last call. Okay, one more. Last one. Again, you can listen to this being read. This is verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, Ah, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you, have, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Okay, why don't you take a couple more minutes to talk about this, and we'll give you one last chance to share. All right, anybody want to share on this one? Any thoughts? Oh, here we go. Do you have your own mic back there? No. Oh. Stand in front of uh, in front of the speakers. Um, it what stood out to me is that you have three situations where people feel very like they have enough. They have either land, they have s- status, or they have possessions, and so they're like, I, I have enough. I don't need. I don't need mm-hmm. anything else. And um, God is now going to the people who have literally nothing and are on the fringes of society, and they think that, you know, in in many ways, they are the forgotten ones, but um, actually God's flipping it around, where those who are seemingly, you know, already judged by God, 
nope, they're the ones that are going to be exalted. They're the ones that are going to be brought in. That's what, who God is looking for, um, you know, versus the people who are content um, and complacent in their status or riches or, um, you know, the other things. Mm, that's good. I'm just looking at the passage, and I haven't spent any time on this one, but um, it's just amazing to me because you you see Jesus is at a banquet. Like, he's telling these at a banquet. And he's been invited to this banquet, and he's telling all of these stories, and he's basically saying to the guy who's running the banquet, this is how you should run your banquet. You think about that. I I mean, he's basically... Like it's it's like going to and I can't even think of like of a fancy banquet that you might go to in the area, but going to like one of those ritzy places like I don't know something held at like Endicott College or something like that with all the rich people in the area, and you're basically saying you're doing it all wrong. Um, so just just as you look at the passage, it's like that's Jesus is like you're doing it all wrong. It's like. You guys are, like, the reason why he's talking about honor is because people are looking at places of honor. Um, and this, the, the, the last piece, like, that guy was like, blessed are those who eat, in the kingdom, eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he's like, you, you have no clue. It's like, you're doing it wrong. You're thinking about it wrong. But, and he's just in that spot. Mm. Thanks, Ben. Anybody else? All right, you guys have had enough of my game, huh? Okay, thanks. All right. Um, it's an interesting final story there. I don't know if you've ever thrown a party and, like, no one came. It's not a great feeling. So it's interesting to think about um, what's the emotional context of this, right? We have this kind of humiliation in the first section, um, then in the, in the second parable, it's kind of this, this flip of, you know, who should you invite as a host so that you're not just trying to gain things. And in this last section, there's this, you know, kind of a continuation of that passage. There's this man in the great banquet, it's, and it's kind of bringing, there's guests that are involved, like, that are not coming, and then there's a host who's experiencing the feeling of that. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot in here to digest. One other point to make is it's, there's something that's repeated in both passages, or in, in the, the second and third, which is the poor, the blind, the lame. Now that is probably a reference to an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, right? And this is what Jesus says in, in part to John the Baptist. I don't know if you know this story, but John the Baptist is in prison, and he's like, what is the deal? Like, Jesus, cousin, Cuz, like, you're the Messiah, right? So, like, let's get this party going. Assuming let's, like, overthrow the Romans and let's just dominate this thing. Why am I in jail, you know? And Jesus says, hey, you know, like, the blind are healed. They're seeing, you know, the poor have the gospel preached to them. It's this reference to this ministry of Jesus, okay? Now, what I think is the center 
of this whole passage is this one line in the third parable. It says, come for everything now is ready. Come for everything now is ready. This, this, this man throwing this great banquet, I would say, is a reference to the kingdom of God which Jesus has brought as the seed of heaven into this world. It's been planted in the earth. And now, after Jesus dies and rises again, like, heaven has invaded earth. D-Day happened. Like, the war is essentially over. There are battles to be won as this unfolds, but the victory of the kingdom of heaven dominating earth and the forces of darkness their power being broken, it's, it's, it's done. Like, like that is now an inevitability that the manifest presence of God, that the fullness of what things are like in heaven is now, is now in filling the whole universe, okay? The created universe. And so the, the banquet is really, is really our invitation into uh, a life with God, not just we die and sit on a cloud and, and strum a harp, right? No, like now and forever. So Jesus is inviting people. There's this invitation in this great banquet to come and feast with the host of the banquet. Now, um, there's an enemy to that. And what we see in these three things, the connection is really, there's this element of pride and my own agenda about my life. It's really pride is the center of of the enemy of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. The first passage, right, it's, it's this exalting yourself. The second one, it is, kind of using other people to your own advantage. So I'm going to invite them, right, so that I can get something out of it. Now, often in our lives, we do that subtly, maybe subconsciously even. Uh, I was just hanging out with Jade last night and saw a clip on, I think it was a Facebook stream of The Office, and if you've ever seen the show The Office, uh, there's a character in that show named Dwight Schrute, who's totally unmannered, has no clue about you know how to be a host or you know be a guest at a party. But he's trying to get back at his his arch nemesis, this guy Jim, who's a central character also in this show. And so he 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 brings in, he drives to New York City. The the, the office is in Pennsylvania, and gets bagels for everyone from this whatever special shop in New York City, and he's bringing them around. Hey, would you like a bagel? I drove all the way, you know, to get this for you. And then someone will take a big, oh, thanks so much, Dwight. And he's like, and now you owe me. You know, like, (laughs) there's nothing subtle about this. I am doing this so that you will owe me a favor later, and I will call upon that favor, okay? So the third parable, it says a couple times that people are making excuses, Please may I be excused. Please excuse me. You know? And in this, it's, it's the cares of their life 
that are distracting them from this incredible banquet that God has prepared for them. The host of this party is saying, come, for everything is now ready. Everything is now ready. There is a feast set at table right now for you in this moment. And it comes through the messianic work of Jesus, the one who has come for the poor, the blind, the lame. And guys, you know, we are just scratching the surface on, on, on what uh, the enjoyment that God has for us in this life. The bliss that he has available to us. Like, think about a banquet. Like, think about the greatest party that you've ever been to. You know, this is, this is the image that he's trying to portray. Now, I've been to a lot of weddings as a pastor. I went to one recently. It was at a little um, a country club in Gloucester. And my favorite part is always the hors d'oeuvres. And so I'm at this little, I'm at this little you know, wedding uh, reception. I just did the ceremony, and then it's like cocktail hour, right? And so you know, they're coming around with these trays and passing out all these things. And it, it, for me, it's always like, that's where it's at. Like those hors d'oeuvres are usually like the best thing. And my favorite of all time is scallops wrapped in bacon. So we're at this wedding, and Jade knows, Jade knows the deal. So she's my partner, because she doesn't like seafood. And so every time they come around, they're like, oh, would you like one of these? I never say no. So he's like, oh, yes, I've already had 17, but I'll take another one, you know? And, you know, so Jade will always like, yeah, I'll take one as well. And then she just holds it for me, and then I have two. That's my little trick. So, like, like you, you have to put this in your mind, like, like, we think banquet, you know, that's probably the nearest thing that we have, right, is, is, a, is a, the feast that happens at a wedding. Now, if you've ever gotten married, oftentimes, well, you know, it's expensive. You're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. Now, you don't have to do it that way, and that's not necessarily, like, the right way to do it. But culturally, that's kind of what our culture pushes us towards. Again, Right? The image in our minds is one of incredible extravagance and abundance. That is the picture that, that Jesus is trying to paint for us, that what, it, it, what life in the kingdom is about. And, and these things that these people are listing, Jersaul was saying, there's not bad things. You got married, you got some new oxen, great. I mean, like, none of those are sin. But the point that Jesus is making is the things in life and our pride and our desire to get ahead, our own agenda can distract us from the real feast and banquet that is now going on because of what Jesus has done. And we'll continue in the future. So when we die and go to be with Jesus, it'll be even better. And then at the resurrection of dead and the culmination of all things, it will be even better. So don't think that People that have gone before you that have died have reached, have reached it without you. They actually haven't. There's more to come for them too. It's a party that never ends, and it's a party that's filled with abundance. Now, I, I know it's hard to like hear this message sometime because life is hard in this world, right? But Jesus is just saying the same thing over and over, right? Come, for everything now is ready. I want my house to be filled. And notice that 
you can do what you want with this. I'm not a Calvinist, but I don't, I'm not, I don't hate on you if you are, right? Everyone was invited in this parable. Now, again, you can't spin that and make a whole theology out of it, but it's interesting to note that everyone is being given an invitation into this party. <clears throat> so, how do we enter into this party? How do we attend the banquet that Jesus is saying is now ready? It is now ready. The Messiah who is healing the, healing the, the lame and the blind, and he's preaching the gospel to the poor. This Jesus who has died on the cross for us has risen again to bring us into new life. How do we access the abundance of the kingdom mentioned in this parable? Well, it's the same theme that, we, that I've been picking up on in this whole series, which is, is a huge uh, theme, I would say, in the book of Luke, particularly because the book of Luke, like, like no other synoptic gospel, highlights the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it continues, obviously, you see that in the book of Acts. But the way that we do that, the way that we come, because everything now is ready, is by learning how to pray. Learning to pray and learning how to pray. It is learning to pray. It is a life of prayer Prayer is an expression of humility. It is saying, God, you have something that I do not have. It is an expression of need, whether it's just putting ourselves before God's presence, opening yourself up to God, whether it's asking for things. Prayer is, is a posture of humility. Now, again, we, there's another parable about the Pharisee and the publican where there's a very proud prayer. That's the antithesis, the model of prayer that he's giving. But any prayer that is truly of, of, a, of a place of reality of seeing things for what it is, right? We also see this um, recognition of others, like in the second story, of seeing people for who they really are and the value that they have, and not just using people for your own agenda. How do we gain a heart like that? It is through prayer. It is inviting the presence of God daily, continually into our lives that he would transform us. And then in this third, this third section, you know, it's, it's coming to the banquet. It's, it's recognizing that there is something greater out there. Rather than fixing our eyes on what is seen in our lives, these temporal things, it is recognizing that there is a banquet available and leaning into that banquet through prayer. I want to close with this. I want to offer you one practical um, thing that you can do to lean into this. You know, again, Jesus is saying there's a banquet available. If you read the stories of the saints, as I talked about a couple weeks ago, I illustrated some of the bliss that saints have experienced in the presence of God in this life now. I mean, just incredible stories of, of having learned to pray and therefore entered into the incredible banquet of God. Um, you know, if you've ever heard of Teresa of Avila, you know, and then, again, a lot of times we dismiss some of this stuff as legend, but she would often be so caught up in 
the bliss of Jesus, of knowing him in the kingdom, that she would start to levitate off the ground. And it was actually embarrassing to her. And her, she would have her fellow nuns like try to hold her to the ground, you know? It was said that when she died, her body did not decompose for like very long period of time because somehow the presence of God, like the, the blissfulness that that eternal life was somehow just being held by her physical body. Now, you can throw that away, but Elisha was thrown in a tomb and died. And because the glory was so thick on him still, they threw another dead person in that grave and boom, he came back to life. So just, there's biblical precedent here for some of this. Jesus levitated when he went up to heaven, okay? So they're walking on water. That probably involves some kind of levitating principle, okay? So just don't get too weirded out here. Here's the practical I wanted to leave you with, okay? Um, and this is a prayer that's, that is now kind of spread Protestant, Orthodox, Catholic, but it was really, has really been held by the Orthodox Church. And it's something simple called the Jesus Prayer. And in this, there's a posture of humility that is actually a piece of this is taken from the prayer of the publican and that, you know, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And there's also a declaration, even as we were singing about this this morning, about who Jesus is and acknowledging him as the master of the banquet. This is what it says in a book of prayer. In the first epistle to the Thessalonians, the apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. How then is one to pray unceasingly? By often repeating the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. If one becomes accustomed to this appeal, great consolation and the need to continually make this petition will be felt within, and it will be carried on as if of itself within one. Although in the beginning the enemy of the human race will offer hindrances to this by causing great weariness, indolence, boredom, and overpowering sleep, Having withstood all these with the help of God, one will receive peace of soul, spiritual joy, a benevolent disposition towards people, even the poor, blind, and poor, blind, and lame, tranquility of thought, and gratitude toward God. In the very name of Jesus Christ, a great and graceful power is inherent. Many holy and righteous people advise how one can often, almost without interruption, perform Jesus' prayer. So hey, here is something highly reproducible, very simple, and yet also incredibly profound way to enter into the banquet. Again, it's, there's a battle raging. The thing that the devil does not want you to do is to pray, literally. It is the center of what our life is. It's our relationship to God. It's standing before God in our life and inviting the presence. It's, it's, our, it's, it's our yes to entering into the banquet and allowing the Holy Spirit to grow us so that we can actually handle more of the joy. That's a piece of it, guys. It is grow our own growth and maturity and aligning ourselves with the will of God, which allows our, our feeble body and brain to experience more of the joy of God. So if there's a question of, well, why can't I just have it all right now? I think that's actually a piece of it. All right. I'm going to stop talking because I think I'm losing some of you. So let's, let's um, have the worship team come back up. And um, what I would invite you to do is we'll pause for one moment. And I just would invite you to try saying this prayer. If you feel the Lord is saying, yeah, that's something that could be for me. 
And there's many versions, actually, of the Jesus prayer. There's not one formula that's right. But this one that I just proposed is just repeating, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, itself a a confession of the gospel that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and then humility, have mercy on me. So let's say that for about a minute together, just silently. And then, Katie, whenever you're ready, you you can lead us into worship, and we'll stand and worship.